0: Hi guys and girls. Welcome back to the Canadian Farmer. This podcast reflects my personal opinions, views, and my own interpretation of information and was prepared in my personal capacity. This podcast does not reflect any institution, corporation, association, or society, just me. Happy New Year. This is it, friends. The beginning of a brand new year, a fresh start. If 2019 was rough on you, I feel your pain, but we need to shake it off. It's over. We made it, and 2020 is ripe for picking. Think about this. What can we do to make this year a great year? Remember, you can hear me, but I can't hear you. But I bet I can guess what your answer would be. I think you would say for 2020 to be a great year, it would be less stressful and more fulfilling, or something like that. Am I right? Well, if you mean it, if that's really what you want... We need to make it happen, and in order to do this, we need to examine the triggers of our stress. And I don't mean run-of-the-mill things like being too busy and not having enough staff. These are challenges in all professions, careers, and jobs. What really creates the stress you feel? What exactly makes you frustrated in your role? Here are some ideas that I have about where the stress comes from. I feel stressed at work when I feel unprepared. Like being put on the spot to answer a ridiculous question, especially when it comes from another healthcare provider. Like if a doctor calls and asks me if Digoxin dosing should be adjusted in renal failure. Pal, I'm not a walking CPS, and I'm going to have to look that up. And I also feel stressed when I feel like I'm to blame for something, like practically any inconvenience to my patients. For example, a prescription is misplaced, or it's not ready when expected and important facts doesn't go through, or worse, an error is made. When you boil things down, the real stressor is pressure. And when you point the finger at the pressure cooker, it's not the customer, the doctor, the drug plan, the district manager, the college. It's me. I put this pressure on myself. I've decided that I need to respond to a question immediately, and that the inquirer should not be made to wait for more than 30 seconds for the answer. And I assume the blame when someone returns for their compliance pack and I haven't finished checking it yet, even though they told me they wouldn't be back until the next day. I apologize. I feel terrible that they have to wait. Why? Why didn't I use my superpowers to figure out they would be back sooner? For me, these irrational thoughts and unrealistic expectations became a lot less frequent about five years ago. I'm not sure what changed. Maybe I matured. Maybe things just came together. Maybe I just got some perspective, which is code for guts. But things really changed for me, and I see it differently now. The stress is less, and I'm telling you, I love what I do. I know what you're thinking. What did you do, Susie Sunshine? And no, it doesn't have anything to do with cannabis. And I don't want to give you the impression that I skip around the dispensary singing Morning Has Broken, although I have. I stopped expecting the impossible from myself. And since then, some pretty incredible things have happened. The biggest thing I've changed among a few minor habits was my outlook. I decided that every day I would do what I could, and that instead of concentrating on what I couldn't do or what didn't get done, I would recognize the impact I had made. If you've listened to some of my other podcasts, you might have noticed that I've mentioned this before. Let me explain what I mean. Picture it's the end of the day, it's five o'clock. You're putting on your coat to go home. You reheat the coffee you bought at 8 o'clock this morning for the fourth time and you think maybe you might drink it on your ride back. As you walk to your car, your cell phone rings. It can be whoever you want on the other end. Your husband or wife, maybe a friend, it can be Paul Warren. It doesn't matter. Whoever you want. So this person asks you, How was your day? Three years ago, my reply would sound probably a bit like this it was insane people are crazy a guy screamed at me because the clinic didn't fax his prescription and a doctor called and asked me for information that nancy drew wouldn't be able to find and he wanted the answer now like he was asking alexa we would continue the conversation about how unfair the world is and how hard i have it and by the time we finished i would dump my cold coffee onto the pavement and drive home My answer today would be a lot different. Don't get me wrong, I don't live under a rainbow. I do get discouraged and frustrated like everybody else, but a lot less often than I used to. A lot less often. Today, my answer might sound more like this. Today was a real challenge. It was slightly uncomfortable to explain to a physician that I could respond to his question within the hour, but I think he appreciated that he got a really good answer and in the end, it made a big difference on his decision. Then one of our customers lost his temper, but I know that the circumstances were beyond my control and I'm not going to take it personally. I had a great conversation with a new mom about a prescription she was given for anxiety. She had no intention of filling it, but after we spoke she felt encouraged and supported and we're going to continue to talk about her options on Tuesday. Okay, first of all, you and I both know that's not how I would talk to my husband or my friend or Paul Warren. But you get the idea. The way I perceive my circumstance is different. I don't have it all figured out, but I see you, friend. I know you, and I was you, and I know you're tired and frustrated and you're stressed out. Taylor Swift is right. You need to calm down. All right, I'll stop now because my superpowers are telling me you really want to talk about prostates. But in the spirit of New Year's resolutions, do this for me. Try just for a day. Try to recognize the difference you make. Do you even realize what you've done? If you want satisfaction, if you want meaning and fulfillment and something to balance out the stress, this is where it's at. Sometimes we just get too busy to notice. Okay, moving on now from our Dear Abby monologue. Today, we crack the walnut wide open, the good old prostate. If you've held it in your hand, you would know how it feels. It would be soft, rubbery, smooth, and symmetrical. (laughs) And although it's not very big, truly the size of a walnut, it can wreak havoc when things go wrong. Because the two lobes of the prostate hug the urethra, the effects of an enlarged prostate, regardless of the cause, become difficult to ignore. In our pharmacies today, we dispense a ton of medication to, cre- to treat conditions of the prostate. And our expertise on this organ could have huge implications for our patients. So today we're going to focus on prostate cancer. Prostate cancer is cell proliferation stimulated by testosterone. It's the most common type of cancer in men in Canada, affecting one in nine. Men over 50 are at higher risk as with those who are overweight and have a family history. Symptoms that may prompt investigation leading to the diagnosis are common to other non-cancerous conditions, so don't panic. These include difficulty and discomfort urinating, increased urgency and frequency, especially at night, trouble initiating or stopping urination, painful ejaculation, and blood in the urine or semen. Later, we'll see that these symptoms alone are not reason enough to presume cancer is present, as these complaints can be due to other causes, but it's important to evaluate the origin of these symptoms to allow early detection of prostate cancer. Even when men report no symptoms, screening is recommended by the Canadian Urological Association for Men aged 50 and over, who elect to do so. PSA is measured in a blood test, stands for prostate-specific antigen, and it's typically done until age 70. A PSA level less than 1 nanogram per mil warrants a recheck every 4 years, unless symptoms arise. And a PSA level of 1 to 3 warrants a recheck every 2 years. If the PSA comes back over 3, there's other options to consider. Based on the preferences of the doctor and patient, they may elect to increase the frequency of testing or proceed with additional testing like risk calculation or once the PSA elevation is confirmed, a biopsy may be appropriate. You've probably seen doses of ciprofloxacin 1000, just a single dose in your practice, and this can be a clue that your patient is going for a prostate biopsy. Although he's likely to say no if you ask him, he'll pro- he probably does have questions and he's probably terrified. And after we finish today, you should be set to answer the questions he has and help him in the future. Okay, another screening test is the DRE, the Digital Rectal Exam. Alone, it isn't recommended to detect cancer, but if PSA levels are high, it can be helpful to see if the walnut feels the way it should. Signs of an unhealthy prostate are lumps, irregularities, Hard areas, and asymmetry. This would be helpful in deciding whether or not a biopsy should be done. Having a DRE can be very upsetting for some men, but like a mammogram or a pap test, it's an important screening tool, not screaming tool. If a biopsy is positive for prostate cancer, there are options for next steps. A CT scan or a PET scan can help with staging by checking the abdomen and the pelvis for cancer, And a bone scan may also be ordered, as this is a common site for metastases. For high-risk men, like those with a family history, a CT scan of the chest and the lungs could be added on, because next to bone, these are the most common sites of metastases of visceral organs. Depending on the scans, treatment options vary, but the recommendations make it clear that the patient should have a say in what is done. Some choose active surveillance and do nothing more. Removal of the prostate or the testicles is less common now than years ago, but sometimes is still done. There's two types of radiation for prostate cancer, external beam radiation, which I think we're most familiar with for the treatment of cancer, but then there's also brachytherapy. And this is when high-dose or low-dose radioactive seeds are implanted right into the prostate. The prostate gland is a source of cytokines and growth factors that aid in disease progression. So, targeting this area reduces the risk of metastases. External beam radiation has been shown to be effective when there is low disease burden, less than five bone metastases. So, if there's a 7% improvement in three-year survival in men with less than four bone metastases. Just to kind of give you an idea. Okay. Hormone therapy is what we see a lot of in our pharmacies, and it's effective for hormone-sensitive prostate cancer. This is androgen deprivation therapy, and it's the mainstay of treatment in men newly diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer, and it's often continued for life. Androgen deprivation therapy is almost always effective at first, which is amazing. But inevitably, the cancer may progress, and PSA, disease burden, and symptoms will start to rise. There are two types. Androgen receptor inhibitors, like bicolutamide. These block testosterone binding to receptors and prevent it from entering the cell to work. Recently, there's been a wave of new androgen receptor inhibitors, considered to be second generation. Apolutamide, the brand name Erlita. Darolutamide, brand name Nubeca. Abiraterone. Acetate, which is given um, along with prednisone, brand name Zytiga, and enzalutamide, which is brand name Standy or Zandi, X T A N D I, whatever, I don't know. These second generation androgen receptors stop androgen synthesis and therefore block testosterone production, which can occur even outside of the prostate in the adrenal glands. So the newer agents target all of the testosterone testosterone production. Now, the other group of hormone therapy options, other than androgen receptor inhibitors, are wait for it, luteinizing hormone, releasing hormone, agonists, and antagonists. LHRH. So, LHRH agonists, like Lupron, and antagonists, like Firmagon, are available for men who choose to try them. These are usually paired together with an androgen receptor inhibitor. Androgen deprivation therapy is known to cause bone loss fast. And in our role, we have to ensure that patients know they need to supplement. So, vitamin D is given at 800 to 1,200 international units per day. Calcium, 800 to 1,000 milligrams per day. If the patient is at high risk of fracture, a lendronate can be added on. And finally, there's chemotherapy available for recurrent or metastatic prostate cancer if hormone therapy stops working. Or if the cancer is really advanced. Docetaxel and cabazitaxel are examples of chemotherapy. All right. So deciding what treatment, if any, is best. If any is best is guided by the Canadian Urological Association guidelines for metastatic, castration naive, and castration sensitive prostate cancer. Um, Castration doesn't mean surgical castration. It refers to castrate levels of testosterone induced by hormone therapy or prostatectomy like other cancers de novo metastatic prostate cancer has poorer prognosis than prostate cancer that metastasizes after the diagnosis and that's why early detection is so important if found early it can be treated a lot more effectively all right i think that's the highlights for prostate cancer If you want more information, I'll link my resources on my Facebook page and on the website for Canadian Farmer. I hope you found it helpful, and I hope you have a very stress-reduced day. I'm looking forward to this new year with you farmers. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.